Hi, guys. Welcome back to Intern Investing. We've got a podcast this week, and uh, we're talking about Latch later in this episode. Latch has potential securities fraud uh, investigation. Well, it does have a, a securities fraud investigation going on right now. So that's big news. Um, if you've been following this channel for a long time, you know that we were big proponents of Latch probably six months ago. Um, we had Luke Schoenfelder on this channel. I got to interview him. So uh, we definitely want to talk about that because that's big news and kind of relates to the channel. But Zane, Jamie, how are we doing? Doing good. We're celebrating episode 50, right? We are. Sure. This is episode 50. Yeah, so shout out to the one guy out there somewhere who watched every episode all the way through. <laughs> You're the man. <laughs> If we, I think we average we average a few dozen listeners on uh, the, the podcast platforms, but on YouTube we have a lot more, and we've reached six hundred and fifty six subscribers on YouTube now. So thank you to every one of you subscribers out there, whether you're wa listening on Apple or Spotify or Amazon or wherever, or you're watching on YouTube. Thank you so much because it has been a lot of fun, uh, and we appreciate you supporting us. Because we'd be doing this, you know, whether or not you watched, but. You know, we, we we enjoy it more when people are interacting and, and commenting on videos. So definitely try to interact with us as much as possible. If you have any questions, put them in the description and and, and definitely um, try to try to engage a little bit more. It's great. It, it's a lot of fun. Um, so who who put this first topic? We've got five topics today. Uh, yeah, this was Zane, my first topic. first topic. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this, and I'm like, is it worth spending so much time analyzing companies if I'm just going to sell it before it, you know, launches up because I don't have the patience? Um, you know, and can you even like, judge a stock that well? So I'm thinking this is a big question. What's more important, picking the right stock or having the right mindset? I'm leaning more towards having the right mindset. I think that's incredibly yeah. valuable. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% on the mindset side as well. I mean, you could you could pick Netflix in, you know, when it, whenever it came public and hold it until now and you would see amazing returns um but if you didn't have the right mindset to actually be able to hold it um for, you know, the past 20 years through Quickster, uh you know, through through that entire Quickster debacle and now this entire um, drop over what the past year or so, where it's basically flat over over the past five years. I mean, that takes uh, you you can't do that without the right investing long term investing mindset. Um, so if you don't have that, it doesn't matter if you pick the best company in the world because you're not able to hold it the entire time. Yeah, and what I continue to think more and more is that having the stomach is important and the reward that you get as a long-term investor is somewhat correlated to the pain that you can sit through and the patience that you have in a way. I'm not saying like always wait it out till bankruptcy, but I think in a way, if you have the right stock, you get rewarded over the long term for, for sitting through the ups and downs where other people might get scared out. I think it's all about the mindset, because if you think about how many stock pickers are out there that have been successful, if you look at active managers and their performance against the S&P 500, what are all the conclusions of all these different studies and reports that you see active managers versus S&P? Basically, all of them say that the majority of active managers underperform the index. And, and 
all of these managers are taking different approaches, whether it's growth, whether it's value, whether it's leverage, hedging, they're all doing that sort of thing. Uh, and, and they're still underperforming. And these people are CFAs. They're really great at picking stocks. They know what good financials look like. And I think those skills are important, but they're still underperforming. And I think a large part of the reason that they're underperforming is because many of these active managers are so short-term focused. These funds are you know, open for a year. And their shareholders or th th their partners are going to wonder what's going on in, in this fund six months from now, not six years from now. And so all of these investors are tied to their partners of this fund. And the, the LPs are going to expect good things in six months or 12 months or however long this fund runs. And so that's where I think a lot of the underperformance comes from. If you look at a great stock picker like Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett is a combination of an incredible stock picker and a person and an investor with the best mindset out there um, besides him dumping the airlines in 2020. But besides that, uh, he's had the stomach for just about anything. And so what you see is outperformance decades long. And this, this is like a story kind of as old as time when it comes to Warren Buffett, but this how long he's been investing is the testament to like how, uh, you know, amazing his mindset is. This guy started investing when he was what, like 10, 11, something like that. That's when he bought his first stock and he's, geez, old as dirt. I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's, he's getting up there um, to the point where they're, you know, figuring out who's going to supersede him when he, when he passes away and he's still investing and still, you know, holding companies and, and running a business. That is the definition of having the right long-term mindset. Um, and that's what's allowed him to just obliterate, um, you know, other, other, um, perf uh, performers in the market. You have to wonder why aren't we learning about having a good mindset and the importance of it? Exactly. You can't sell that. You can't, you can't sell that. Like you really can't like you, we can't come on here and say, we're going to teach you how to have the mindset to become one of the best investors in the world. That doesn't sell. You learn that. We come on here and say, you, you learn that in your first Robin said, Hood account. You learn that in your first Robin Hood account that you blow up. That's where you learn it. You can't learn it in a classroom. You know, you can't, you can't exactly that, that, that doesn't, that doesn't work. You can't teach any of that. I learned about options through blowing up my entire <laughs> options account. That's how I learned about it. Connor, not only does it not sell, but it's just not applicable to the vast majority of, of citizens. I mean, a lot of investors don't necessarily have the passion or the interest in investing to hold and just, you know, have that boring, uh, you know, long-term buy and hold strategy. That's just not appealing or interesting to a lot of um, a, a lot of consumers. So not only is it really hard to sell as, as you know, a, a money manager to people, but it, and I guess that's part of the reason why it's hard to sell just because not a lot of people, um, you know, have that mindset or care enough. Um, yeah, they want the returns, but they don't necessarily want to wait, you know, 30 years for those returns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not something, what would happen to the finance industry if stock picking disappeared? I don't know. 
because it makes up such a such a large part of it. Picking individual investments, trying to be an active manager, trying to manage your own portfolio and outperform whatever benchmark you're going to try to use. Um, so that would be interesting. But think about how many millionaires have been made from the S&P 500. But think about how many millionaires have been made from one stock. You know, that's the flip side of it. How many CEOs get rich investing in just their own company? It's true. But how I mean, I would love to see the data on. Well, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, there's probably but, a, there's a lot of people who have invested in one stock and not right. I mean, just completely I mean, to your point, I feel themselves. like. To your point, I feel like that's more like CEOs in management who know what they're doing. But yeah. like for the average retail investor, you know, the, the number of millionaires made off the S&P 500 has to be ridiculous. People that have just had the stomach yeah. without that stock picking ability and done great. For sure. So Elon Musk is one of the um, one of the people that I really admire not just because he runs Tesla, which is Zane's favorite company in the world, <laughs> uh, one of one of my favorites as well, but because he seems to just uh, come out and say the right things at the right time. And he's talking about, um, and a lot of, okay, that's a highly debated statement yeah. that I just made. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A lot of people would say that he, he doesn't, but uh, recently this week, he started to talk about how we need to increase oil production. And this is a guy that's very reliant on renewable energy, whether we're talking about solar, whether we're talking about EVs, um, what else on energy storage. So this is a guy that's trying to help the energy transition happen. Yet he's coming out and saying the old traditional energy grid is the way that we need to be doing this. And yeah. so, I find that really interesting because he's not out there promoting his product, say, you know, like it, in, in a very virtuous way. I feel like there's so much virtue signaling in the energy space about how solar panels is, you know, it, it's basically carbon free, even though it's not even close. How electric vehicles are basically carbon free, even though they're not even close. Um, and, and so it, I, I wrote down in the doc, I said, I love this man. He said no virtue virtue signaling, no BS. He's just stating the facts, and 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 I like it. One one of the things I love about Elon Musk is his just straight up nature. I mean, this man gives uh, he, he he doesn't care about, and maybe it's because he's one of the richest men in the world. But he just says what he thinks. I think that's great um in a lot of aspects especially with with things like this where you know there's there's a lot of virtue signaling especially in in, in tech or you know or, or in energy um evs things like that uh, but just you know saying something completely off script is i i i think is you know a reality check for the industry and it's great but i also think that at least when it comes to musk and, and tesla that is by far one of the biggest risks because this man while he doesn't care um, and, you know, mm. it's just straight up with everything. I think he's straight up a little too much. He just likes to uh, screw around <laughs> and, and, you know, on just, that one. just be himself. That's That has to get him in trouble at some point. I don't know when. I don't know how significant the trouble will be. But that's my biggest bear. I mean, I'm, I'm a Tesla shareholder. Obviously, you two are, are as well, um, you know, especially Zane over there. But I'm short. I switched to short last week. <laughs> but like that that has to be the biggest risk. I mean, 
Elon Musk is has to hurt the company at some point. It might be their biggest risk, but it's also their biggest advantage, in my opinion. I'm going to flip it and say this is a huge strength. And one of the biggest reasons I invest in Tesla, this man, the reason he's so honest is because he doesn't think like other people, like even me, like I'm not smart enough to do the kind of like bottoms up thinking that he does and the kind of engineering based thinking that he does. He, he looks at a truck, you know, and, and or for the cyber truck, for example, right? He didn't look at another truck and then think, oh, you know, let's make a truck that's kind of like this. He thought, what does a truck need to be at the very bare bones basics of it? And then let's make it around that. So it's like, you know, it has all these interesting features that you don't see in other places, like insane durability. It doesn't have paint because why the hell do you need paint on a on a work truck? Um, and then there's other things like Elon thinking, you know, the population collapse is imminent, whereas everyone else is projecting the population to keep increasing. I think there's a lot of situations where because Elon looks at the world differently, it allows Tesla to do some amazing engineering. And uh, I don't know, I'm not saying that it's not a risk. I just think there is a flip side to it where that's like the, the special sauce of Tesla sometimes. I, he's, he's almost like the polar opposite of what all, all of what else is going on. Like if you think about all of the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, you have the CEO of Shell coming out and saying how they're trying to be, they're trying to be a more sustainable company. Yeah, trying that's... to move to renewables by 2050. And and I think people have just grown tired of that ESG crap where it's like, listen, I just want you to come out and say what you're doing. This is not a company. Shell is not a company that is that is sustainable. Yeah. It's not a company that's working on sustainable stuff. That you are you are tied to your shareholders and you are uh, your fiduciary duty is to do, is to you know take that capital and do the most that you can with that as a company. And trying to make it about all of this other stuff is just is it's it's really frustrating, especially in the, this is a little side on ESG. You know, they're they're standardizing values in ESG for an entire globe of people that all have different values. And so it's it's not there is no standard of values because there is such a variation in values across everyone in the entire world, which is which is frustrating. Um, But I think it's just nice having someone having a CEO come out and just being upfront saying we need more oil and gas production. You know, I know I benefit from, you know, a transfer to more sustainable sources of energy, like, uh, you know, solar that that's where he benefits from, but he's not going to promote that because I mean, he, he doesn't, he's just going to, he's just going to say the truth because he's the richest man in the world. Like, why not? I, I think that, I, there's no debating that, you know, like, like Zane said, I mean, Musk is a genius and he just thinks differently from other people. And that's, you know, obviously translated into a amazing sex success. And that's made him extremely wealthy to the point where he doesn't necessarily have to care what he says because he has so much money, but that's, that's a concern. I wish people didn't care though. I wish people, I wish the, I wish McDonald's would just come out and say, we prey on people getting fat and we serve food to a lot of people. And it's horrible for you. Like, like, why can't they come out with an ad campaign and say, we make the world fat. Like I would love those commercials. It would just be real. It would be a relief. 
you know, from all of this crap. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, going back to the shell I, I thing. I wish there was, I, I love, that's, that's what I love about Elon. Yeah, I mean, going back to the shell thing, to your point, like, first of all, I like the point about the globalized ESG values. I've never thought about that that way before. That's a good point. ESG is absolute bull. We, we, yeah. we need to talk about this um, uh, on, on another podcast and just rant on how yeah. terrible ESG it's, is. For it's so a way reasons. to get stupid. It seems like a way to get higher fees on managed funds, honestly. And going back to the shell thing, it's, they're never going to be sustainable drilling for oil. Like that's just, that's not a thing. It doesn't, that's not how it works. So they're going to have to do it some other kind of way. And I wish they would just be upfront and say that like, Hey, our business is not a sustainable business, but if we invest enough in certain ways that you can genuinely offset some carbon, not like a BS way that a lot of other companies are doing it, then maybe you have some kind of angle. Or, hey, we provide oil to the world. We think oil is going to be relevant for the next 100 years, and we're going to try to you know, take market share in this space. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's the business. Why is it got to be business? Why does it have to be ESG? I don't know. Yeah. Do you talk well, about it? Jamie, do you want to tell us about your new. Yeah. What's that saying? I was just going to say, Jamie, do you talk about Zane, ESG Jamie, you in your investing class? No, I, I don't yet. But therefore, um, yeah, this we have only had our, our first class yet. So, I mean, we're, we're intern investing. I mean, I'm, I'm still in college, so I'm taking an investment course in college. And boy, does this violate basically every rule in my book for long-term investing. Now, I'm not going to say this class is, is a sham. You know, my, I, I love my college. I think it gives a great education. The professor uh, clearly knows what she's doing. She's a, a, such a great mind. But the way that this course is, this investments course is set up, is basically made to create um, day traders. And I absolutely hate that um, be, because I, I, I think that the world would be better off without uh, lots of day traders and things like that. So I, I just want to kind of share a project that, um, that we're doing in, in this class. So we will have a two month uh, period, so 60-ish days, um, where we have to make 50 trades to uh, generate the highest return. Now, first of all, Creating returns off of a two-month period is uh, luck, in my opinion. No way you can, you know, get grades and you know get a better grade off of that or be based on you know the the luck of of a two-month trade. But she is encouraging the riskiest behavior because the best return over a two-month period gets a, a nice, um, a, you know, a, a nice bump on our final. And what I found even crazier was that the worst grade or the the worst return. Um, for, for our class also gets an additional bump on our final. So she is encouraging us to take literally as much risk as we can so we can either see the best return or the worst return. And that is so dumb in my opinion because I think that long-term investing is what we should be teaching in classes, not this day trading bullcrap where we're just trying to create the most volatile market in the world. Um, that really pisses me off. And so the fact that an established business with a smart professor like this is just like hitting home, hey, 
you know, risk, you're, you might become a, a, you know, a banker one day, or you might run a fund and you're managing other people's money. And I'm teaching you to create the, the most risk and create the highest volatility to potentially get the best returns. And, you know, judging by last, uh, last year's uh, class performance, the top, uh, the, the best performer returned 50% return in two months. The last, uh, the worst performer, negative 170% in two months. So clearly this isn't working that well. And so that just really frustrates me, uh, both as a long-term investor and a student that's actually looking to try to gain a job. I don't think that's the right way to go, uh, to go about it. And well, the other part of it right. was, so Jamie, you go ahead. Zane. The other part of it was that you in, in the curriculum, right? They start out with all the wrong things like, okay, sure. Yes. Take, take the project on its own but at least give some understanding of what you're actually doing before. And I mean, I'll let you extrapolate on that. Yeah, so, so I, I started reading um, my, my, my book right now. And to be fair, chapter one talks about the differences between stocks, bonds, um, you know, direct investment, indirect investment, hedge funds, mutual funds, all the basics, just real plain and simple. That I like. Then chapter two, margin trading. Chapter three, Short selling. Why are we teaching how, how to trade on margin and leverage your money and shorting stocks before the basics? Like just dividends. Is it a personal rates. finance class? No. Is it a per, what? What, what kind of class is it? it what, the, the, the class is called investments. So we are learning how to uh, you know invest money. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't seem too dumb to me. Uh, well, what? Why are you learning about? Trading on but margin not, and short it's... selling in, before market basics. They're, we're not learning like about dividends and earnings and how to value a business and, uh, months after we learn about margin trading. Why is that? Well, it's not about like you're talking in terms of what's best for you in terms of your personal finance. Like, like as an investor, we should be long term. We should want to focus on earnings growth. We should want to focus on dividends in some cases and try to find the best investments and hold it for the long term. Like, yes, that's so true from a personal finance standpoint. But if you're trying to teach a class on investments, I kind of understand throwing you into the fire because that's, that's really how you learn. And if you're trying to win this fun, exciting game, and you're leveraging this and you're leveraging that and you're getting shorting this and you're blowing the whole thing up and it's just a crazy, uh, you know, pile so, of everything. You know, that's I feel like that's a good way to learn. Like I, I do. Connor, what is the most important, um, I, I guess, metric or growth rate when it comes to a successful investment over the long term? You're talking about stocks? Stocks. Yep. Earnings growth. Or free cash flow growth. Why the hell are we learning yeah. that first? Shouldn't shouldn't we be that knowing how to even calculate free cash flow? Learning about what it is, why that drives in you know returns over the long term, not margin trading. These these a lot of the kids in my class. This is a you know a pretty basic. It's not you know like an intro course, but it's a pretty intermediate intermediate class that you know, aside from their own speculative bets or investments or whatever, hasn't had an official investments course. So this is, uh, you know, for the most part, calculating intrinsic value, generating free cash flow, learning about that stuff, valuing a business. You haven't technically learned that in class yet, unless you've done it on your own. Why isn't that first? One other little, little nitpick that I have with like 
investing education is the emphasis on the PE ratio because no one uses that. It means nothing. No one uses that ever. The only time it is acceptable, I guess, to use is if you're comparing a mature company to another mature company in the same sector. Even then, I wouldn't use it. Even then, I would pick something else. So I don't understand the emphasis on that. But that's kind of where we talk. Were we talking about this last week, the PE ratio? Am I restating this or was this another conversation? No, Connor, we, we were talking about this right before we started recording. Um, in, in my class, we actually talked about Twilio. The first, the first day of class, we started talking about Twilio. And the professor asked, um, you know, if, if the company was cheap. And, uh, you know, a, a student raised their hand and talked about, you know, no, you should be looking at valuation. And she said, yes, exactly right. And then she looked at the price to earnings ratio for Twilio. Twilio is not a profitable company. And she said, therefore, I wouldn't touch this with a 10-foot pole. And I'm like, well, hold on, hold on. The price-to-earnings ratio is not at all the right metric you should be using for a growth company that is not at all optimized for profitability right now. You should maybe not even free cash flow because this company is solely based, you know, trying to gain market share and profitability is a, a, a second thought that it's thinking about, you know, multiple years from now. They're not focused on profitability. They have said that before. Don't look at the price to earnings ratio and say that you wouldn't touch it because they're not optimized for earnings. I mean, may, maybe if you're a short-term trader, like this class wants you to be, okay, sure. If, if, maybe the price-to-earnings ratio is more useful then, but not if you're a long-term investor. Yeah, I think we might have to uh, to kick it over to the next topic here, just, yeah, just for I, time. No, no, I, no, no, I need no, to no. stop talking. <laughs> no, 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 not, not, not yet, not yet. We gotta talk about Jamie's strategy here, okay? If you have two months, we're gonna, we're, this is gonna be the title of the video, how to win a stock trading game. Oh, let's and go. we're gonna have college and high school students search on Apple Podcasts for the next decade how to win two months stock trading yeah. game and that they're gonna find our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so this is how you win. Everybody, five years from now who's who's found this podcast, well, this is how you win well, this. Well, how do you win? You triple lever QQQ? No, no, no. You 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 buy an option, either you go long or short, fully long or fully short. Right now, I feel like we're in a bear market rally. I feel like there's a lot more to fall. I mean, we're not even in the rally anymore. We've we've started to pretty far off that nowadays. Past few, past yeah. few days, or we're down like six percent. Um, anyways, I'm just buying a put on buying a put on TQQQ. So yeah. that's a triple leverage Nasdaq ETF, and you're going to buy a put way out of the money. So I'm talking like. I don't know, 50, 70% out of the money. And you're just going to keep on buying puts and buying puts and buying puts and buying puts. You're going to use margin and you're going to buy more puts <laughs> and you're going to leverage yourself so much to where if, if it ends up down 5%, if the market's down 5% in that two month period, you're, you've won, you're you've up won like 400%. Exactly. No one will out leverage you. Not a soul. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't let anyone out leverage you. And if you go in one direction, the, you have a 50-50 shot of winning. Well, no, and I'm... if you can speculate a little on the, where the market's going to go, Connor, given, go for it. given how the game is, you win if you're the biggest, if you make the most profit. You also win if you lose the most. So if you just puts, put puts, puts, puts. on the TQQQ, <laughs> and you, the chances are, no matter where the market goes, you win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's whole now, yeah. That's it. It's it's, it's it. only for my port, you know, my class. You know, if there's no loser, if there's no hey loser also wins, then 
the thesis kind of breaks, but that's basically a guaranteed way for me to get some, you know, extra, extra points on my, on my uh, midterm or on my final. Definitely. Yeah. So, should we talk about Latch since I mentioned that at the beginning so, of the episode before we, we finish it up? we got so many options that we can talk about, but yeah, let's do Latch. Let's do Latch. Okay. So Latch, law company took up this case where they are investigating them for securities fraud. Latch has not reported earnings. They were supposed to report earnings at the beginning of August. Um, it is now today, August 30th, and their earnings have not come out. I don't think they uh, published their 10Q either um, for Q1. I, I, I read somewhere that they didn't read their 10Q. I don't know if that was for Q2 or Q1, but either way, not. A good oh, boy. Anyways, um, what I thought was going to be the title of this episode, but we got to change it after that last topic, was... What was it exactly? I texted it to you guys. Luke Schoenfelder is going to have to re-envision the space inside of a prison cell, yeah. <laughs> which might happen. We'll see. And and the reason for that is because the, the reason that I say that is if you go back and listen to the interview we have with Luke is very vague. I ask him, what's the mission of your company, Luke? And he, he looks at me and he responds to reimagine the way we view spaces. And I'm like, you make door locks, bro. Gives me Adam yeah, Newman vibes. I exactly. Mean, yes. I, yes. Whenever I tell anyone that, that's the first thing they say is like, "We work." <laughs> Did you talk to Adam Newman? <laughs> yeah. What's, I, what's also crazy is this company. What if we were in a bull market? Well, okay. What if they committed securities fraud? One. So they actually did. And what if we were in a bull market still for the next five years? Would that have ever been found out? And how many companies out there are like that? Have you ever thought about that? There's probably a ton. There's probably a ton. I mean, you know what happened with Luck and Coffee? That I was actually invested in that. I wrote that on the Motley Fool's like profile page as my worst investment ever. Because I'm like, oh, I'll buy some of it. And then, boom, securities fraud. They're down like 90% in a day. That was a good time. Well, look, there was, yeah. there, was, there was so much fraud. I mean, uh, Luck and Coffee, obviously. But then you get into like the old school WeWork, that was in what, 2018 or something like that? That was relatively new. And I mean, not necessarily securities fraud, but some you know fraudulent actions going on there. Both Luckin and WeWork were in you know pretty amazing bull markets. So I mean, yeah, to I, I, I think they're, they would totally, uh, you know, if, if the stock market was ripping higher and not absolutely plummeting right now, I, I, I don't think their situation would potentially change. Now, would they be down, what, 95% from their all-time high or something absurd like that? Probably not. I still, on it, honestly, I still think that they would be down, um, even even if the stock market continued ripping like it was um, like it was in, early, in, in early 2021. Because, I mean, they're just, their cash burn is continuing to accelerate, and it's just yeah. not getting anywhere better. Yeah, stock market would applaud them and say, "Keep burning the cash. <laughs> your revenue is up 150. Yeah. percent We'll pay 500 times sales yeah. for your company." That's what would happen. Yeah, and like I want to like, I really want to like Latch, and I think they have a cool product. It just sucks. It really just sucks. But a, a cool product doesn't always mean, or a, a great product doesn't always mean a great investment. Yeah, but and, but I they mean, had so much traction it, it, early on too. That's my thing. Like they were in what. One in ten new or did buildings they? or something or did they? Yeah, now that's the question because I was sold on that. I'm like, you're in ten percent of new apartment buildings. It even it even got up to thirty percent at some. Thirty percent. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah they, it, it, it they're was fraud. <laughs> they're fraudulent. That's cap. <laughs> You're gonna join the lawsuit now. <laughs> <laughs> Throw my name in. Hey, I've I've got I've lost some I've lost quite a bit of money in that one. Uh, I still own it. Jamie, you sold it last week. You said that earlier. Yes, I'm I'm out of my my quiet period. So yeah, I, I sold it along with a few a few other stocks just to kind of concentrate my portfolio. I mean. Yeah, I mean, in theory, Latch could potentially face some like short pressure um, and, and just, you know, see a huge bump like Fubo did a couple weeks ago, just, you know, because there were some short sellers covering or something like that, if they, you know, happen to file their earnings report or something. But um, just, I, I love the product, not the, the stock, not the cash burn, not the uh, questionable, why aren't you reporting earnings? Uh, all of that stuff was just, you know, it, it, it just piled on. I was okay with the cash uh, the cash burn and just so many other things just kept piling on. I was like, okay, I don't care if it you know comes back. Not something I want to own right now. Jamie, I'm going to make you regret that decision as I start my Reddit journey to short squeeze <laughs> this company with a lot of moon emojis, rocket emojis, stock going up emojis, uh, it, and and. Oh. It can't fail. Connie, you know what? I'm going. I'm going to put this. Um, I, I'm going to put some op, buy some options on Latch. Um, what call call options? Yeah. Yeah. Call, yeah. yeah call call. Do a super out of the money long call. Yeah. Uh, put, leap put call like, and put it'll like be like fifty percent of my portfolio. two dollars. Exactly. Exactly. And then I will benefit with you when when you eventually uh, you know get your Wall Wall Street bets fame or Reddit fame or wherever you are yeah, and and, uh, and, and see the go. company gets short squeezed. You'll get your article in the Wall Street Journal. That you could you could gets. actually just buy it. Go ahead, you Connie. could buy an at the money call and then get the returns worth of a hundred shares. You could be doing that too. Yeah. So and that would be relatively cheap as well. I have a hundred so. grand in fake money, so I'm gonna I'm gonna you know probably put a, a little bit down on that. So we there have you go. A, there you go. probably a couple more minutes. You guys want to run one more rapid fire topic? Thinking, Let's go. I'm having fun. Let's do you're it. Thinking mega trends that we invest in. Do I mean you already touched on this one a little bit? Was this little recent rally we saw a bear market rally or a full like full blown? We're going back to the highs. We could talk about that. I think we should do that one. Okay. What do you What do you think? You like that one? Yeah. Bear market rally. What do you think? I, I'd like to get y'all's thoughts. Well, okay, I, I can I can start off. I totally think we're still in you know a sort of a bear market, and that this was a a bear market rally. I think that for some reason, uh, you know the the Wall Street kind of thought the world was going to end, nothing is going to go right for the next like five years, and then there was some glimmer of hope, um, and somehow Wall Street you know just turned around and said, okay, jokes jokes are over. Uh, no recession, everything's gonna, you know, be, be perfect in six months. And then, you know, the Fed speaks again, and it's like, okay, neither of those are right. The world isn't going to end, but not, you know, the world isn't gonna be perfect in six months either. We're still in some sort of, you know, turmoil in, in the economy. And so it's just kind of getting, uh, the sentiment is just kind of getting pushed more into the, the accurate direction. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I think that that you know jump over the past what month or so has, has was because everybody thought everything was going to be fine. It's not, but it's not going to be the end of the world either. But you know, um, people are kind of noticing that not a, everything's not going to be fine in in the next six months. That's just not a reality. Yeah, I think I'm slightly more optimistic. I I understand. I get what you're saying and where you're coming from. I'm thinking though, it's it's so hard to look at the valuations we're seeing now. Like I've looked at a lot of 
companies. I was just talking to Jason Hall looking at home builder stocks. And these companies are trading for three times earnings. And then there's companies in like lithium mining um, that are trading around the same, like almost flat with earnings. And it's uh, it's hard to see for me, especially in an environment where commodity prices are inflated, inflation is high, how that is sustainable. It just seems almost too cheap at this point. Now, where do I feel or how do I feel about tech stocks might be a little bit different. I think I'm a little bit less optimistic about them. And I think there's a little more room to come down potentially. But in terms of like classic value stocks, I I can't really see us compressing much farther. I don't know. So so I want I want you to think about sector specific. Take housing, for example, with a lot of these REITs trading at three times earnings. Why are they trading at three times earnings? That's the question you have to ask. I never asked this question with Coinbase, and this is a lesson that I've learned. Why was Coinbase trading at eight times earnings when, if you look at their net income, it was up 400% in the last two years or whatever it was? Um, and I, that didn't make any sense to me. And that's because I was looking in the rear view. I wasn't looking forward. Not, not looking realizing forward, that crypto is going to crash. Yes. But the market had this perspective that this can't last. This euphoria cannot last forever. And so that's why we're keeping Coinbase because it's transaction related fees. If the transactions ever slow down when we go into a bear market, what happens to Coinbase? I mean, they just get killed. And that's exactly what's happened. And if you look at where the, where the housing market is right now, the Fed's got the biggest balance sheet that they've ever had. They're going to have to continue to raise rates. They're going to have to offload a lot of their balance sheet. And what's that going to do to the market? What's that going to do to the housing market? Potentially could, could cause a lot of damage. I mean, we may have seen the peak in housing. Um, not, that, not that the long-term trend isn't still there, but I think in the short term, we could see much higher compression in, in the housing sector. I just wouldn't be willing to bet against it, given that the long-term trend is so strong in terms of the supply and demand. Uh, it's just like, I wouldn't be willing to take that bet, but I, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess always be long-term optimistic and short-term, whatever the heck you want to be. Yeah. But, <laughs> right. You know, if you're a long-term investor, you don't care about that. Right. Cool. I think that about wraps it up for us then can close it out. Thanks everyone for watching. We, we hope you learned something and enjoyed our 50th episode. If you're interested in more, this is intern investing. Check us out on any platform, wherever you get your podcasts and YouTube as well for some shorter form content and like specific stock stuff. So thank you. And we'll see you in the next one.